Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Chapel Messages podcast, a ministry of Emmaus Bible College. Each episode is taken from a chapel message given here at Emmaus. For more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. Okay, good morning, Emmaus students. Um, It's really nice to, to be here today. And as it was mentioned, my name is uh, Juan Arjona, and I teach here in the counseling uh, department. As Juan has uh, re- read today, uh, our passage will be Psalm 42. And I would like to start with a warning. Um, and I need you to know uh, that there is no happy ending at the end of the psalm. There's no victorious or miraculous rescue. The author here doesn't experience a supernatural event and his soul doesn't go from being cast down to be full of joys, joy and peace. The psalm ends and we continue wondering what happened, if he feels better later or not. And this is the exact the exact reason, the exactly the reason why I decided to share with you the, th- the truths found in this passage. You might have experienced this in the past. Maybe you are experiencing right now. There are times in our Christian walk where, when we don't get what we want. Even though we think that what we need is good, but God seems to be silent. For me, this happened when I was actually applying to come to study here at Emmaus. For numerous reasons, uh, it took almost three years for me um, from the time I applied until the time I got here. This waiting and not knowing the end result created a variety of, of emotions. I felt disoriented, confused at time. I mean, we're talking about Emmaus Bible College. Well, why not, right? Uh, and the answer didn't come, wasn't coming. Have you experienced a situation like this? You asked the Lord for help, but nothing seems to be happening. And I pray this sermon helps you and brings some comfort if you are going through a situation like like this right now. So to get started, Psalm 42, if you see in the title there there in your Bible, probably says that it is a mass kill, meaning that this is a psalm of instructions. In other words, here's a wise counsel about trusting God through tough times. This psalm was written by a group of um, priests, the sons of Korah, who concentrated their ministry on writing poetry and singing. In Psalm 42, you can see a pattern in the structure of the psalm. So we start with a lament, verses 1 through 4. There's an expression of hope in verse 5. There's another lament, verses 6 through 10, and the exact same expression of hope in verse 11. And as soon as the psalm starts, we can tell that someone is in deep trouble. 
The soul of the psalmist pants for God like a deer pants for scarce water in the midst of a drought. And this is a beautiful picture. Think about it. The psalmist presents God as the source of life and refreshment. The author continues to describe what he is feeling, some of the symptoms um, he is experiencing. Verse 3 reads, My tears have been my food day and night. Crying day and night. That must feel terrible. I never experienced that. We don't have a lot of time uh, to, to go deeper, but Bible scholars believe that the reason for the psalmist's pain and, and suffering is the fact that he longs to be with God and to worship, uh, worship God in the temple, but he is prevented and remain, uh, remains distant. This psalm does not provide us with a clear reason for his inability to participate in temple worship. Um, the towns of the enemy and the implication of verse 5 that he is uh, located outside the land of Israel make us believe that he's not able to be in the temple because he is in exile. He is not able to be in the promised land. So he feels miserable. Extremely sad. He's able to identify the source of his pain, but there is no way out. Doesn't that, doesn't that sound familiar to you? Don't we, have, don't we have to go through situations where we might know what we need to finish the suffering, but the situation seems far away. The solution doesn't seem to be coming. So let me jump to verse 5 to make sure that we have the right picture of how the psalmist is, is feeling. As you can see, so the same phrase is repeated in verse 5, verse 11, and then in chapter 43, verse 5 as well. Why are you in despair? Other version says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hoping God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. The term despair means to crouch, bow down. In a figurative sense, the verb means to become low, to be a vase. So to put it in a different way, these psalms recounts those days when we feel like curling up in a fetal position and quitting. It feels very validating to see that as followers of Christ, as believers of God, people can still feel in this way occasionally. There's nothing abnormal about having these type of feelings. The questions the psalmist is asking were actually designed to challenge him. The psalmist is challenging himself, bringing him to a place of self-examination and introspection about the, the state, the, his state of sorrow. 
the psalmist was trying to find the cause of his depression before he sought the needed treatment. Don't we, don't we do the exact same thing? So I do this. I don't know about you, but I will speak about myself. So instead of sometimes talking, uh, talking to my soul, I start to talk to myself. What's the matter, Juan? Come on. Shape up, man. Stop the non nonsense and feel better. And sometimes I do something that makes things even worse. I start to, um, what in therapy we call catastrophic generalizations. Something like, this is going to be terrible. This is never going to end. I'm not going to be able to cope. I will feel like this forever. And then, thinking that we can make it better, we start to do things that are more like shots in the dark. Anything is welcome as a way to get rid of those feelings. Maybe we use eating as a way to cope, or watch Netflix, or hanging out with friends. Some people use drinking, watching porn, and the life that the list goes on and on. Now, don't get me wrong, right? There's nothing wrong with some of these things. We need to eat. It's okay to watch a movie or spend time with friends. The problem is when we use them as a way to escape from some of those emotions. Look at what the psalmist decides to do as a way to deal with this internal turmoil. Verse, verse 4 reads, these things I remember. Verse 6, therefore I remember you. It can be argued that his memory was going to provide a sense of confidence to face a difficult future without panicking. As he pours out his soul in anguish, he remembered these things. The festive joy of coming into the presence of God. When his soul is downcast, he remembers God. So how do we counter the defeating sense of being or feeling abandoned by God? The psalmist holds out one effective way. To remember the times when God has been present with us. To recall those times when we experience a way out when he provided what we needed at the right time. To call to mind those events where his hands were as real as they. And use those memories to cope with the current situation. True, the problem doesn't disappear, but a new sense, a new source of strength and hope shows up. So I'm going to get here a little nerdy and academic um, and utilize some information from the field of neuropsychology to illustrate the point that I'm trying to make. So when the psalmist here talks about remembering, he is describing a willful act. So he is calling to mind those events from the past. He is forcing himself to meditate on them. 
It's not a passive action, it's an active action. This is very important because there are several myths about memory. For example, one of the myths is that memory, our memory, is like a photocopy machine. So when we call up memories, we think that we see accurate, exact reproductions of what took place in the past. And that is a big, fat lie. That is not quite how it happens. That's the reason you can tell your sibling, a brother, sister, do you remember that time? That didn't happen. Actually, this is what happened, right? Memory betrayed us. So neuropsychologists discovered that memory are not exact reproductions of events from our past, but we, whenever we retrieve a memory, we change it and we alter it. When what we recall may be close to exactly what happened, but the very act of recalling an experience changes it, and sometimes in significant ways. So this is, to put it scientifically, memory retrieval activates a neural cluster similar to, but not identical with, the one created at the time of encoding. Thus, memories are distorted even though you believe you are being accurate. The state of mind, the way that you feel when we encode a memory, and the state of mind you are in when you recall it, influence and change the memory. So the story you actually tell is less history and more historical fiction. So how is this information related to what we're talking about? Well, I'm glad you asked. The point here is that if we don't take active steps to encode, to store, to save a particular situation in our memories, we could start to distort whatever we went through. And then we start, when we start to recall a specific event, we might believe that what we remember is exactly what happened, but in reality, we altered it. We need to be very active and disciplined in storing those times when the Lord acted miraculously so that when we are going through hard times, we are able to recall those situations and find hope and strength. I remember a difficult time I went through several years ago. At that time, I decided to adopt a good habit my wife has. I started to journal my prayers. So almost every morning, I will grab my notebook, write down the date, the time, and exactly where I was sitting in my house and brought down, brought down a short prayer with some descriptions of what was going on. As I started to feel better and the situation started to look, uh, to change for, for the, for the be better, I, I made sure also to journal about that. 
there, there have been a couple of opportunities where I went back to that notebook and read it in times of trials or when my soul was cast down. And as I was reading, my mind was taken back to those situations in the past where God changed an outcome or provided the strength and endurance necessary. Being reminded of those situations doesn't make the situation disappear. The struggle is still real, but a new sense of hope in the faithfulness of God and the love of God arises. Let me give you another example. Right before I was planning uh, to start college back in Argentina, I had to enroll in an orientation course um, because the, the, the university I attended was private. I had to pay around $200 uh, for this required course. The thing is, I didn't have money anywhere. My savings accounts were zero. It wasn't under my mattress or a piggy bank. I didn't have the money. So I asked my parents if I could borrow some money from them, but they didn't have it either. My mom opened a book, and guess what? Two 100 bills were there. She completely forgot that she hid that money there months ago. The Lord provided miraculously. When there is a need, financial need, I call to mind that time when money showed up inside a book. The Lord provided, and he will continue to provide. The thing is, if we don't remember, we forget. And as you can imagine, there is a great danger in forgetting God and his mighty works. We could start feeling hopeless, and our society stands ever ready to taunt us, like the psalmist. Using the words of the psalmist's enemies, where is your God? Our society does not wish to remember God. And the danger is that the world and our friends who are of the world can easily persuade us that there is no deliverance, there is no way out. It is easy in the face of the painful situation of life to conclude then that we are on our own. Life is what you make out of it. So if you, are, you got yourself there, you have to get yourself out of there. God is out of the picture. In verse 6, we see again that the psalmist shares that his soul is cast down within, within him. And he decided, decides to remember God, despite the fact that he is feeling terrible. Verses 7 and 8, I'm reading um, from the New Living Translation, says, I hear the tumult of the raging seas of your waves. And surging tides sweep over me. But each day, the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me. And through each night, I sing his songs, praying to God who gives me life. This is a beautiful 
illustration to represent the mounting trials the psalmist is experiencing. But he knows that those trials were directed by God. They are under God's complete control. Although the psalmist was overwhelmed by his predicament, he could say that the Lord directed his love toward him. The psalmist knew that the love of God will not fail him. At night, the psalmist says, God's song was with him. The painful ordeal woke him up at night, but he was comforted again by God's love. The, psalm, the psalmist continues to offer a prayer to the God of his life and shares with the reader what his prayer is. In verse 9, O God, my rock, I cry, why have you forgotten me? Why must I wander around in grief, oppressed by the enemies? The psalmist knew that God was his fortress, a rock in which he could hide from the, crash, the crashing waves. While he waits to experience God's faithful love, he appeals to God, why have you forgotten me? This is asked because God was not coming to his aid. It appeared that God was not listening and did not care. The psalmist's prayer seems to be going without an answer. The psalmist is remembering God, but he feels like he has been forgotten by God. The pain is even worse since there are people who are oppressing him, making fun of him, bringing more pain than comfort. So what I, I see or I observe here is a conflict between, on the one hand, the psalmist's logical, rational side, that side that goes back to God and, and his unchanging promises, and on the other hand, the psalmist's emotional side, that part of him that reminds him of his pain and his suffering. I need to recognize that I admired the psalmist's good theology and his deep-seated trust and faith in God's love. I need to be honest. Um, I need to learn from him because there are times, especially in suffering, that I tend to succumb and doubt God's love for me. I know it's terrible. And so unfair of me to entertain those thoughts after seeing and experiencing God's provision time after time. I mentioned at the beginning that there is no happy ending. I wish we could read something like, And the Lord listened. He came to my rescue. My mourning was turned into joy instantly, and all my pain dissipated. My soul is no longer cast down. No. My soul is overwhelmed by the Lord's peace and joy. Praises be the name of the Lord God Almighty. But we don't know the end. We don't know how long the psalmist felt 
in this way. The last verse of chapter 42 reads, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Another version says, Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. The psalmist gives us here very wise counsel. When we face a difficult situation, the solution as followers of Christ is always the same. We hope in God. When dealing with demanding circumstances, we should put our confidence our confidence and our trust in the Lord. This might sound too simplistic in man's eyes, but it is nevertheless heaven's solution. Do not panic. Do not turn to man-made solutions. Do not try to run away or numb those painful feelings. Hope in God. Call to mind the times where he rescued you. Remember that your and my God is the exact same God of the Bible. The one who opened the, the, the Dead Sea and protected the Israelites. The one who used a big fish as transportation for a disobedient prophet. The one who protected Daniel's friends in the free furnace, the same one who sent his only beloved son to die for us. Do not forget that remembrance brings hope. And hope in God can provide us the lasting, lasting peace and the gen genuine contentment. If, he were, if, he, if God was there in the past, he will be in the present, and he will be in the future because he doesn't change. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. Let's pray. Father, we recognize that there are times in our lives where we don't understand what's happening. The situation we're going through doesn't make sense. We start to think about different solutions and we pray and ask you for, for deliverance, but nothing happens. Sometimes it seems like the more we pray, the, the worse it gets. And Father, I pray that you will help us to remember you. And you will help us to recall all those times, Father, where you were so good and so present in our life. Help us, Father, help our faith to become stronger during hardship. And I pray for 
anyone who is here listening today, that if they are experiencing troubles and if they're experiencing turmoil, that they will cling to you, they will cling to your promises. Help them, Father, as they walk through this hard time. Thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Chapel Messages podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit emmaus.edu partner.